Gracious Lord and Father, we give you praise and we give you thanks that we can be together this evening as your people. And we pray, Father, that as we uh, gather this evening, may you uh, speak to us. Lord, please give us uh, ears to listen. Give us hearts that are open to receive your word. And Lord, we pray that your spirit might be at work in this place to transform us, to change us, uh, to make us more and more into the image of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Lord, please, as we come to partake of the Lord's Supper this evening as well, Lord, also just prepare our hearts. Lord, please help us to reflect on our relationship with you, our relationship with one another, with your church, our relationship with those around us, we ask you, because we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The last few uh, months, it's, it's been a bit of a, it's been a joy, uh, just as we've seen more and more uh, families reunited, you know, we've, we've spent so long not catching up and seeing family because of, of COVID and seeing uh, family members coming from overseas and uh, catching up with family members again has just been so beautiful to watch. I think we've all enjoyed um, Abhishek's mum and dad being here uh, and see the, the delight uh, in Abhishek's uh, face every week. There he is. Doesn't look very happy tonight because his parents left this week, so please go and give him a bit of a hug after the service. Um, we also had another couple here this morning. Um, they're asylum seekers. They've been in Brisbane here for 10 years, uh, and they, their mother arrived from Iran uh, on Friday, haven't seen their mum for 10 years. And it was just beautiful uh, to see the family together at church this morning after 10 years. I had the joy of doing that. I went back to the UK uh, a few weeks ago to spend some time uh, with my family back in Northern Ireland. Uh, but while we were there, um, I also had a bit of a trip uh, to London with Jack, uh, my youngest son. Uh, and we had, you know, the privilege, or I thought it was a privilege, I think Jack thought it was a bit of a drag, uh, to visit lots of these historical buildings around London. And one of those was, okay, three people know, brilliant, the Tower of London. You know, I'd been to the gates of the Tower of London many times could never actually afford to go in. So this is the first time I was able to go into the Tower of London. You know, they pay the pastors around church the big bucks. So it was great to be able to get in there. Uh, but in, within the Tower, there were lots of objects. There were lots of things to look at. But there were lots of things which really, I couldn't really understand why they were there. Like, for example, monkeys. I mean, what have monkeys got to do with the Tower of London? There were aviaries, there were signs, there were the different displays. Uh, there was the, the $6 billion, you know, uh, crown jewels. Uh, and it was amazing to come out, look at all these different exhibitions, look at all these different things. Lots of things we didn't understand, but there were also uh, different signs and different places that can we explain to us what was happening. Different signs, different um, things that actually helped us understand what was the meaning behind the jewels and the monkeys and the aviaries and everything else that were in the tower. And this evening, we come to the gates of another historic building. We come to Solomon's temple. And again, within it, we're going to see lots of different objects, lots of different details that we will also struggle to understand. Some images that even though we read it in the Bible, we'll struggle to understand and even imagine what they look like. We will see treasure this evening, which will require some kind of explanation. But we'll also see how the temple ultimately points us clearly to two things which they represent. And one thing is, is that God keeps his promises 
And the second is, is that God is glorious. If you remember way back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we looked at this last year, David had decided to build a temple for God. But God told David that he wasn't to be the one who would build it. Instead, God would raise up a descendant of David, a son who would build the temple. And not only build the temple, but he'd also build a kingdom, a kingdom that would last forever. And now it seems that that time has now come. So Solomon announces his plan to build the temple in verse 5. The temple was to be a dwelling place for God on earth. It was to be a focal point where God would meet with his people and execute his salvation plans for the whole world. At the beginning of chapter 5, we meet King Hiram of Tyre, who himself is not an Israelite, but he's called upon to provide the finest timber from Lebanon for the temple structure. And when he gets the message from, Lebanon, from, from Solomon, he's only too willing to help. And he even praises the Lord. You know, he praises Yahweh, you know, the, the covenant, you know, name for God. Could this be the beginning of the nations, you know, being drawn to God and being drawn to his people, just as God promised Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12? Is that what's going on here? Thirteen years later, we read in chapter 7, verse 51, So all the work King Solomon did in the Lord's temple was completed. Then Solomon brought in the consecrated things of his father David, the silver, the gold, the utensils, and put them in the treasures of the Lord's temple. The completion of the temple by David's son Solomon is a reminder that God always keeps his promises. The construction and the elements of the temple and the different ornaments and different elements of the temple further, they cement that truth. You know, the sanctuary is a, is a perfect cube. Two massive cherubim, they're 15 feet high, they're covered in gold. They, they sit in the inner temple. The cherubim, you know, they were thought to, to represent God's spirit on earth and the worship of God. There are also two massive, huge, big bronze pillars that are 27 feet high and 18 feet in circumference. One is called Yakim, which means God establishes, and the other is called Boaz, which means in him is strength. And then we come to this massive basin placed in the courtyard of the temple. The basin is 15 feet from brim to brim. It's 45 feet in circumference. And around this basin is set 10 different stands, each carrying a movable bronze basin. It's kind of, it's hard for us kind of to imagine exactly what that looked like. But we can see clearly that the temple is going to require an enormous amount of water. Now, everything seems to be laid out exactly according to God's design. And much of it is designed to teach the people, just like the names of those pillars, that God is the one who establishes. He is the one who will give his people backbone. He is the one who will give his people strength. And the temple is designed in such a way to show God's people that the only way for twisted, rebellious, sinful human beings to approach, to approach God is by means that God himself has laid out. It's only by his design 
that people can approach him and be forgiven. You know, the volume of water, it would be a, a constant reminder of their need for cleansing. The sacrifices offered at the temple would remind the people of their need for a sacrifice that will finally deal with their sin and will provide a more you know, transformation than their, to their lives rather than the, the blood of bulls or, or goats and more cleansing than those 11,000 gallons, those 50,000 liters of water. So when we come to the New Testament, it's not long before Jesus himself says in John chapter 2, verse 19, pointing at his own body, he shockingly says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. His disciples and his opponents, they had no idea what he was talking about. But John, you know, quietly comments in verse 22. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the statement Jesus had made. See, the disciples later understood that Jesus himself was the new temple for all nations. They understood that the real sanctuary was not a building. It wasn't bricks and mortar. It wasn't a geographical position. Rather, it is where God is. Jesus is the real, ultimate meeting place between God and sinful people. He is the crucial focal point where God would execute his salvation plans for the whole earth. He is God's spirit on earth in the flesh. He is the perfect cube. He is the perfect one clothed in glory, the ultimate sacrifice. He is the one who cleanses us of our sin. He is the one who, who bathes us in his forgiveness and righteousness. And he does all of this according to God's plan. God makes a, a promise to Solomon in 1 Kings 6. He says this, the word of the Lord came to Solomon, as for this temple you are building, if you walk in my statutes, observe my ordinances, and keep all of my commands by walking in them, I will fulfill my promise to you, which I made to your father David. I will dwell among the Israelites and not abandon my people Israel. You know, Solomon and God's people, they fail to do just that. And this beautiful, incredible, magnificent temple, you know, that, that Solomon makes, is, it's eventually destroyed. It's later rebuilt, a shadow of its former glory. But Jesus, in his shattered, broken body, is the shattered, broken temple that rises on the third day to become the real meeting place between God and sinful people. Jesus walks completely in God's ways. He observes all, observes all of God's decrees. He keeps all of God's commands. He walks in all of them, and he does that for us. He is the ultimate king. He is the ultimate son of David. He is the ultimate promise keeper. And he does all of that is demanded of him so that we can dwell with him and he can live with us forever. You know, in the book of Revelation... In John's vision of the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth, he says this, he says, I saw no temple 
in the city, no temple in heaven, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. You know, the new Jerusalem, it's, it's depicted as a perfect cube, just like the inner sanctuary of the temple. And in John's vision, all of the people of God are in the most holy place. They are in God. They are in the presence of the living God, and they're in his presence eternally. But how do we know God is going to do all of that? Why? Because we can see in Jesus how God always keeps his promises. We can see in Jesus how God is always working out his plans. We may not always feel like he does. We may not always trust that he does. There is much about God that, that doesn't seem to make sense to us. So much about God that we just can't seem to work out. Sometimes, you know, we may think that God seems oppressive. His ways are a bit old-fashioned or out of sync with the modern world that, that around us. We might feel that his yoke is not that light. We may feel that his yoke is actually quite heavy. But the temple reminds us this evening that his promises will never fail. We can trust God. We can trust in his ways. We can trust that he is with us and he will never let go. He will never let us down. We can trust that his ways are good and true even when they and the world around us don't seem to make any sense. On paper, you know, for us as a family coming here to Brisbane 13 years ago just didn't seem to make any sense. I had a, a good, well-paid job back in, in Northern Ireland. We'd only just returned there two years previously, so we were pretty fresh there. We were living pretty comfortably. And, you know, you know let's be honest, why would anybody choose to come to Brisbane? I mean, you come to Brisbane, you visit South Bank, you visit Queen Street Mall, that's it. Brisbane's done. We've done everything we've done in Brisbane. So, you know, why would anybody choose to come here? And I remember sitting on the airplane with my wife, Yoriko, with our four kids, and I was just, I was questioning our decision about why, what, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? This is insane. You know, and at the same time, just, just hanging on to God's promise that he was with us, hanging on to his promise that everything would be okay. You know, whenever I arrived in, in Brisbane, I got off the airplane, I was immediately handed the keys for a brand new car at the airport. It wasn't a random stranger, it was the, the people I was working for. No, here's a brand new car, 42 kilometers on the clock. I had never driven a new car in my life. I never believed that I would ever drive a new car. But here we were in Brisbane with the keys for a car. We, we drove to the metropolis of, of Maruka, um, we got to Clifton Hill, we got to, um, to our house there, we came into the house and the house was furnished. And you know, my boss kept apologizing because it was all like secondhand furniture. I didn't care. The fact that we had, you know, furnishings in our house, it was incredible. We were so thankful, we couldn't believe it. And then we had a pool. Like, could you imagine, you know, being from Northern Ireland, what it means to have a pool? Like we thought the only, the only people who had pools were people who lived in Beverly Hills. And here we were in Brisbane. My kids went to school in Annalee, down at Junction Park in Annalee. They were telling all their friends, we've got a pool at our house. And everybody was saying, like, well, so do we. You know, who cares? 
everybody in Brisbane has a pulse. But, you know, for us, it was like, you know, coming from a place of just going, God, how are we to get into a place where our cup was just overflowing with God's goodness and his, his provision for us? God always keeps his promises. You know, there's been multiple times in my life when I just wanted just to pack it all in. Times when following Jesus has just been too hard. Times of bitter disappointment and sadness. Times when I couldn't see the end of the tunnel. But in time, God has proved himself faithful over and over and over again. So no matter what we face at the moment, Jesus has walked the way of faith for us. And he simply asks us to trust him and asks us just to follow him, trusting in him. Because God always keeps his promises. But God is also glorious, but not in the way that we expect. Tottenham Hotspur are a football team from North London. Any, any Spurs fans in the house this evening? We had one and a half. One very, and the other one was like, um, no Spurs fans in the house this evening. It's good to see. Um, Spurs, Tottenham Hotspur, they're famous, you know, for Harry Kane and for Sung Hyung Min, the, the two players. They're also famous for an anthem called Glory, Glory, Tottenham Hotspur. If you want to, tonight, um, you can go home this evening, you can listen to Adele on YouTube singing Glory, Glory, Tottenham Hotspur. Um, and also, you can see the signs, these signs all around the ground. The game is about glory. They sing about glory, they talk about glory, they make signs about glory, but Spurs, Tottenham Hotspur, they haven't won a trophy since 2008. In reality, all their, all their current references about glory are all about things that happened in the past. And they're also looking forward to the future. A day in which they will finally be able to celebrate something. A day when they're going to be able to be boasting about something. But Solomon, you cannot help but notice the glory of Solomon's temple. No expense is spurred in its construction. I want to encourage you, if you haven't read those chapters before community group this week, you know, spend some time just reading through those chapters. It's just covered in glory. We've already mentioned the, the finest timber from Lebanon. But you read through the description, you can see that no expense is spared. The interior of the inner sanctuary, it's overlaid with pure gold. Those massive 15 feet kind of cherubim, they're covered in gold. There's nothing haphazard about the work. Everything is done to the finest detail. The place was just dripping in gold and dripping in glory. And Solomon, you know, he's determined to build a temple, as he says, for the name of the Lord. To build a temple, not just fit for a king, but, but fit for the king of the universe. An earthly home that reflected something of God's glory, something of God's you know, hidden glory. But just like the glory of Tottenham Hotspur, the glory of the temple, in essence, it's pointing to something future, to a future glory. A future glory that shockingly isn't dripped in gold, but a future glory that is dripping in blood and sweat and shame. 
You know, Jesus, the ultimate son of God, the one through whom the whole universe is created, he becomes a man. And by God's design and countercultural to his day, he is conceived out of wedlock. He is born to poor parents. He grows up in a town with a bad reputation. And for most of his life, you know, he lives with the stigma of not having a dad. He's shamefully rejected by the rest of his family and by the most important and prominent people of his day. He's arrested as a criminal. He's publicly put in trial. He's publicly condemned. He's unfriended by anyone and by everyone associated with him. He has a chance for freedom, but a, a well-known criminal is shamefully chosen over him to be set free. He's beaten almost to death. He's spat on. A blindfold, you know, is put on him. And when he's hit, the guards ask, you know, prophesy, you know, who hit you, Jesus? A crown of thorns, you know, it's mockingly squeezed on his head. A, a spoof purple robe is draped over his shoulders and a toy scepter is placed in his hands as people mockingly bow down and they pretend to kneel and make fun of his kingship. He's humiliated through the open streets of Jerusalem carrying his own cross. On the cross he is crucified completely naked, shamefully in front of his enemies, in front of his own mother, as the sin of the whole world, you know, is poured out in him, the, the perfect son of God, he hangs naked and ashamed before his father, stripped bare of his dignity and his honor. And hanging from the cross, he's considered cursed by the ones he came to save. On every side, you know, people are hurling insults at him. The sign over his head mockingly says, Hail the king of the Jews. He smells of feces, of urine, of blood and death. And you know, shockingly, this is the gold. This is the glory of the temple. What it's pointing towards, it's pointing towards this. And sadly, you know, the sunrise of this future glory, it's lost on Solomon. You know, because right in the middle of the construction of the glorious temple, well, what is it? It's the construction of the even more glorious palaces of Solomon in chapter 7. And throughout, you know, the chapters, you can notice these comparisons. The temple is completed in seven years. Solomon's temple is completed in 13 years. And this wasn't because the workers were more efficient, you know, with the temple. If you notice at the beginning of chapter 7, it was because Solomon's palace is much bigger than the temple. In fact, you know, the temple, it seems to be more of just like a blueprint or some kind of show home for a series of palaces, a series of homes for Solomon. He has the house of the forest of Lebanon, the hall of pillars, the hall of justice, Solomon's palace, and there's also a palace for Pharaoh's daughter as well. The timber of Lebanon is not just used to construct the temple, but it's also used to construct Solomon's houses. The people are forced into forced, they're, they're, for, they're, they're forced into labor for many, many more years to help build Solomon's house. You know, Solomon even brings his own bronze specialist to help him fulfill the plans for his dream home. And notice the reason why 
Solomon gives for building the temple. He says, you know, that, that his father David couldn't build a temple because of the warfare, that was the, war, the warfare that was all around him at the time. But that's not the situation. Oh, when you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, we read, you know, when the king had settled into his palace, when the king David had settled into his palace, and the Lord had given him rest on every side from his enemies. That's when he decided that he was going to build the temple. You know, Solomon, rather, he just seems to have this kind of way incredibly inflated view of himself. It just all stinks and smells of intense human pride and ultimate foolishness. And Solomon seems to fail to understand the full weight of God's glory. You know, but are we any different? You know, picture, you know, a, a well-respected city worker, a lawyer, a banker, you know, a professional well-dressed, well-educated, gone to the best school. Imagine being taken out to the, the city rubbish dump out of Chandler. And as you go out there, you, you stand with all the rubbish and you look up and there is a post with a naked man hanging on it. Hanging on it by, by the nails driven through his hands and feet. He's covered in blood. He's stinking of urine. He's, he's gasping for breath. And as you take that person there, you say to them, this is wisdom, this is righteousness, this is holiness, this is salvation. Will you kneel down and throw yourself at the mercy of this person? What do you think their response is going to be? That? You want me to bow down to that? You think... I need that. Don't you recognize how well I'm dressed? Haven't you seen the car that I drove here in? Do you know what school I went to? Do you know what qualifications I have? Do you know what kind of job I have? Do you know how much money I earn? Do you know where I live in Brisbane? And you want me to bow down to that thing? You think that I need this bloody mess are you insane is this a joke is this a practical joke see god has chosen a way of salvation that devastates human pride as the apostle paul says for the word of the cross it's foolishness to those who are perishing but it is the power of god to us who are being saved so in his wisdom, God, through the cross, he destroys the way of pride. He opens up a way to a life of true honor, a life of true glory, a life open to God that really at the core of our being, you know, we, we struggle to accept that. We struggle to accept that Jesus. We struggle to live the way of the cross. Because there, you know, on the cross, in Jesus, is the crucial focal point where God would execute his salvation plans for you, for me, and for the entire earth. There, Jesus, the incarnate temple of God, reconciles proud and self-reliant humanity to God. 
There at the cross, he frustrates our commitment to our own wisdom, to our commitment to our own ways. There he dies on the cross for our guilt, for our fear, for our shame, for the death, for the sin that separates us from God and from one another. There the innocent son of God, he takes on all of your sin and faces the wrath and judgment of God for you in your place. He's crushed, he's obliterated on the cross, he's smashed on the cross for you. He dies on the cross for you. And not only does he die, but he also gloriously conquers death by rising from the dead, ascending to reign, where he is preparing an eternal lifetime of glorious magnificence, beauty, comfort, joy, and honor for all of those who put their faith and trust in him. There he opens up on the cross a way for a life of true honor, a life of true glory, a life that is, you know, lived for his glory and not our own. A life of fulfillment where we love God and we love his ways above our own. A life where his priorities trump ours. A life that involves denying self, you know, picking up our cross and following him. A life that recognizes that we may face, though we may face suffering in this life, it's nothing compared to the future glory that awaits us. A life where we, as God's church, are now the focal point of God's attention on earth. As incredibly, we are now God's temple on earth, as God's spirit lives in us. Is that incredible? Do we believe that? <laughs> really? Do we really believe that? You know, as, as we gather here on a Sunday, you know, we're six out of the... Um, the hundred people across Brisbane that's gathering on a church on any given Sunday, as we gather here, do we actually believe that God is present with us here in this place? You know, whenever we sing our songs, you know, brought in the band of led, are we just singing a couple of songs this evening? Is that all we did? You know, whenever we hear a, a Bible talk and we have dinner afterwards and we mill around, have a bit of a chat, do we just, is it just passing time? Or do we actually believe as we meet here that we're actually meeting with God? That God's presence is here. God is focused on us this evening. We are God's focal point at the moment here in Brisbane this evening. Of all the places that we could be this evening, God has actually got his focus on us this evening because we are the temple of God. We are actually the, 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 the crucible that holds the spirit of God here on earth at the moment. You know, and as we, we go off, as we scatter around this evening, as we go home, as we go out the week, do we really believe that as we go, that we go with God's spirit with us? That wherever you are, whatever job you're doing, whatever you're doing this week, that God's spirit is with you. That you are the temple of God. We are the temple of God scattered across the city, that God's spirit lives within us. Do you believe and do you know that God's focused on you? God is attentive to you. We are his church as God works out his salvation plans, you know, in this world, through us and through the Jesus that is within us. Do we believe that? You know, whenever we gather here on a Sunday evening, we, sh we should be keen. There's lots of space, you know, to invite people here because we believe that God's present in this place believing that if people come that they can meet with him because he's present with us 
as we scatter may we believe god and we maybe trust that god always keeps his promises may we scatter throughout the city this week you know that we might reflect god's glory to others and to one another wherever we are because that's what god has created us to be that's what god's created us to do to, to live for his fame to live for his glory and to do that from the end of the pew uh, to the ends of the earth let's just pray right now let's close our eyes and pray the apostle paul he says these words let the one who boasts boast in the lord Later he says, but as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, the world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. As we come to communion, as we come to the Lord's Supper this evening, we come to him with our lives. Our faith might be on the rocks this evening. Our health might be on the rocks relationships we're involved in our career whatever it is let's bring it to jesus this evening and trust that he hears us trusting that he is with us trusting that he loves you that he is attentive towards you and to your needs you know some of us that are here this evening we're caught up in sin we're caught up in selfish pride God promises that if we come and we repent of our sin, that he is faithful and he will forgive us. Maybe you're here this evening and you've never trusted in Jesus before. Maybe you recognize that you're a bit like that, you know, city worker. Someone who's full of pride. You understand what it means to, to stoop low in order to confess your sin. To ask to be saved, to be asking for help. And if that's you this evening, I want to encourage you to come to the Lord Jesus, even if it's for the very first time, to ask him to forgive you and to ask him to come into your life this evening. For the rest of us, it might mean that we ask God to catch a glimpse of his glory this evening, the glory of the cross, the glory of a, li a life lived for God's glory, the promise of glory. Let's just spend a few times right now just a few moments right now, just as we come before him, just bringing our lives to him, wherever we're at, looking to him, offering our lives to him again. Let's spend a few moments now and then I'll, I'll just lead us in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for hearing our prayers. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.